Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about Stay Sweet by Siobhan Vivian. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. This podcast is made possible by Nouvelle ELA Teaching Resources. Find secondary ELA resources to engage and inspire, like collaborative bell ringers. N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E-E-L-A. Something new. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. We're discussing a fun feminist ice cream book today that focuses on a high school summer job. So I've called up one of my fun, feminist, ice cream-loving high school friends today, Claire Nauman. Claire is a writer and production assistant in L.A. Hi, Claire. Hi, Danielle. I'm happy to have you here. I'm so thrilled to be here. You're like one of the first people that I told that we were going to do a new podcast. I'm, it's just, it's an honor to be here, and I'm really excited to talk about this book. (laughs) It's an honor. In Siobhan Vivian's newest novel, Stay Sweet, Amelia is looking forward to her last summer at the Mead Creamery ice cream stand. As head girl, she's going to make sure that she's got every shift with her best friend Kate, and she knows they'll have an awesome time. But when tragedy strikes and the creamery founder, Molly Mead, passes away, the future of the ice cream stand is uncertain. Molly's great-nephew, Grady, moves to town looking to put his business school training to use. Can Amelia help Grady understand the legacy of Molly Mead and the friendships that the creamery girls form? Or will his presence change everything? Dun-dun-dun. All right, Claire, what did you think of this book? I really enjoyed it. I didn't really know if I would until maybe about halfway through. I sort of didn't know where it was going and what the major conflicts and mysteries and plot twists would be. And as it progressed, it became clear that it really was as sweet and simple as it seemed from the outset. Yesterday, when we talked on the phone, you said that you thought at the onset that it was going to be a murder mystery. Correct. Even reading the blurb or knowing a little bit of the story, I truly thought it would be a murder mystery and that the whole summer would be her solving <laughs> a murder. Okay. And it's then, not. <laughs> it's not, which is great. I'm, I mean, murder mysteries are great, but I'm not always in the mood for them. So I was actually very happy that it was, it was an ice cream mystery instead. That's right. It's an ice cream mystery. It's super sweet. You know, the, the stakes are small. It's basically like, will the ice cream stand continue even though Molly is dead? And so even though we have these small stakes, you know, compared to like Avengers Infinity War, they're really big stakes for Amelia, our main character. Yes. So this book has some journal entries in it. It, it opens with journal entries from Molly's perspective when Molly is 17 and like, her fiance has gone off to war and she's sad and her brothers are gone. And so she like starts making ice cream as a way to help her family's dairy. And she goes to the lake and she shares this ice cream with all of her friends and it's super awesome. And they encourage her to keep selling ice cream. And when she opens the stand, she hires all these girls. And so we're really set up to learn about this sisterhood and this, you know, very interesting, innovative business driven by women in World War II. Yeah, I thought the opening in 1945 was really great. I knew 
from the blurb or at least the jacket that the story was set in modern day. So I knew it was an intro and I knew it was kind of the backstory of how this ice cream business started. I thought that was really cool. It really set up the um, femininity of the characters, which I thought was an interesting thread going through, um, which I think this idea that you can be feminine and feminist is very interesting. And I think that our culture has had a little bit of a problem letting those two exist together. And I think that one of the things that kept me interested was that none of the girls sacrificed femininity for feminism or vice versa. I would like to be the kind of person who believes that those things can coexist, but I think I struggle with that. Right. And I definitely see where you're coming from. But in terms of being like a YA novel, I think it is great that this is like one vision of a place where those things can exist together. You know, like literature as the lamp instead of the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I really loved that this femininity and, and business thing existed together because the stand is run still by all girls and, you know, the girls essentially like live there during the summer. So you have things for them right so like you have makeup in the office that they play with on their breaks or like you know they try lipstick on each other or like you have like pmst like ready if they're having a bad day and i love that like unabashed taking up space in their ice cream world i agree and i thought this actually bothered me in the book and this is not a spoiler because it says that grady shows up when grady shows up and they hide some of the feminine items I really, I was disappointed, but it was an interesting way to show this conflict that was going to exist of what does it mean when this is no longer this isolated sisterhood right. and change comes. And it's actually Amelia who hides all this stuff, right? Exactly. Amelia has this friend. Her best friend in the novel is Kate. And Kate is the other senior girl. She was the other one who was in the running for head girl. And then Molly Mead chose Amelia. So Amelia wants to give some deference to Kate and Kate's seniority. And, you know, Kate also takes up a lot of space in the world. She's very energetic, very gregarious, very fun. And I don't think she would have hidden those things from Grady. Yeah, and I don't think that Amelia needed to. And so that was like one small moment of characterization that just like worked so well in the very beginning. Amelia is afraid to take up space and Kate is not. And that was a really important thing to set up early on and I found that really interesting yeah me too and you know we see their differences in other ways like so Amelia is the one who discovers Molly Mead's death and as soon as it happens she calls all the right people she does all the right things she cleans up the stand she like is a doer she is a doer of things yes Kate checks in on her Kate like checks in on the other girls she's more relationship driven And then when it looks like they're not going to be able to open the ice cream stand for the summer, Kate goes out and gets another job. So she's less attached or she comes across less attached to this like one summer job and more attached to the idea of having a job. Right. Whereas Amelia is so committed even to the idea of the creamery that she can't move on and she dwells on it. And that is what leads her to the next phase of trying to deal with these the interloper Grady as things um, progress in the novel so I think it's important 
to me that even though Amelia struggles to take up space in the novel, she is still a really strong character. And yeah, that's something she works on, but it doesn't mean that she isn't very capable. I think that's just an important element of the novel that people's strengths are different and each of these characters have really well-defined strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, and I mean, we'll talk more about the differences between Amelia and Kate in the spoiler section, but I definitely identified with Amelia from the jump because she got things done, like the actual chores at the ice cream stand, like she was on them. Even through her grief, she kind of focused on the physical things she could be doing to improve the look of the place. Like that totally resonated with me, just how hardworking she was. Absolutely. And I I love the description of all of the chores that needed to be done. What was your favorite chore? So, I mean, I don't know like what my favorite chore was, but I definitely just developed an overall sense of like all the little things that needed to be done to make the ice cream shop run. Right. So like at one point when Grady shows up, he's like, well, why aren't the picnic tables closer to the road? And the girls are like, well, they're close to the shade. And just these like little things that they had clearly thought about with intention. And the overall effect was a place that ran so smoothly that people didn't see the little chores. Right. Yeah. And it was the care and dedication from all of these summers and all of this love and uh, affection for this business that made it strong. Yeah. And Amelia grasps that from the get go. That's basically her whole way of living. And so it, it creates, you know, instant conflict. Did you have a favorite summer job or a job that reminded you of this? Yeah. Um, when I was in high school in the summer, I went to this all-girls camp in the woods. And we had rotating kitchen patrol KP. And we had a list of chores just like this. And it was all 14 to 17-year-olds running a kitchen, um, preparing the food based on recipes cleaning. It was very industrial and very professional, we felt, but we also had a lot of fun. We all would play Disney soundtracks the whole time. It was very uh, energetic and just it had the same sisterhood feel since it was all girls. It was really fun and very like this definitely reminded me of that feeling. I can see why Amelia loves this place because she's had so much fun there. Yeah, totally. So Claire, what this reminded me of, especially with like the integration of the newbies to the ice cream stand. So the newbies are going to be girls who are just now finished with eighth grade before they come to high school. And so they hire, you know, two or three each year so that there's kind of like a continued rotation of workers. And this reminded me of high school, Claire, because when we did the drama club car washes, you and your sister showed up to the very first car wash when you were just out of eighth grade and we were going into our junior year and it really felt like when you showed up that like y'all were new and we had to impress you with all of our hard work and knowledge about being awesome but also like we had to make sure you had a fun time and you wanted to keep being in drama club. Totally. I actually, yeah, I was reminded of that too. And the fact that it was cleaning related. (laughs) We had to get the cars clean. Yeah, but also this idea that communal work can be really fun. And that's so important to the way the Mead Creamery in this book has endured. Like these girls have had a blast, even though they've worked so hard. If you really believe in what you're working in, then it is 
fun, even if it's hard work. And that's something that, you know, Amelia chases this whole summer to recapture that. Yeah. And I, I also love the idea of like leaving a legacy of, you know, wanting to continue a thing. Like when I came back from college to visit and your sister was the president of drama club and you were on state board and it was like, oh my gosh, I did that first car wash right, right? Like it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, in that, right. The feeling of legacy and that, yeah, kids in high school, definitely that's important to them. Yeah. So I thought that was really true to life and really um, relatable. Absolutely. And, and just how much responsibility teenagers want to take on. And are capable of. Yeah. So like Molly Mead, even before she was, you know, an older woman in the novel, she was pretty much hands off and she let the senior girls take care of the staff. And she trusted them with that because she started the ice cream stand when she was 17. So why wouldn't a 17 year be able to manage it. I loved that it portrayed teenagers as so capable and yeah. so mature and so able to take on responsibility and to take on challenges. So another thing we kind of talked about before we started recording was where did this novel take place? And we couldn't come up with anything. It's a little bit of a mystery. It's clearly on the East Coast. That's the mystery. Uh, <laughs> I think it's somewhere between Virginia and Massachusetts. I'm not sure. <laughs> that that small neighborly region of between Virginia of and Massachusetts. But I will say that it did not affect my enjoyment of the novel to not have a clear geographic idea. I was able to grasp the vibe of the town, the feeling that it felt to grow up there, and the feeling of, of looking forward to moving away, but also being ner nervous about that. How about you? I related to the small town. Like at one point, Grady, he's like preening because the mayor told him that he could call any time. And Amelia's like, yeah, well, you know, our town is small. Anyone can call the mayor any time. I love that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's how small towns are. And then like you brought up something else, which is like the next step, right? When this summer ends... Kate and Amelia are going to college and they're going to different colleges. And Amelia is very worried about like, will they stay friends in college? And she's, you know, not so much concretely worried about leaving home, but definitely already feeling a sense of loss. Right. And I liked that it was clear that Amelia wasn't worried about being homesick. I mean, she's clearly a very mature and capable person. That's not what she's worried about. It's the relationships and the connections that she's worried about missing. Right. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of Stay Sweet and Dig a Little Deeper. Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Claire, what's your brew of choice this week? Oh, boy. Well, I love television. And <laughs> Me too. The show I'm loving the most right now is this show on E! called The Arrangement. It's in its second season. It's the story of a struggling actress who gets offered a contract marriage with a very famous movie star. And she has to decide if it's worth it to further her career. One hiccup is that he is part of a very controlling self-help organization that seeks to control her life. It's very exciting. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. 
or a lot of drama or a lot of drama fun drama fun drama <laughs> drama rama how about you danielle my thing I like a latte this week is Becky Albertalli's new book, Leah on the Offbeat. It's the newest book in the Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda world, and I'm just really enjoying Leah's voice so far. And I found out something amazing this week. This is probably like one of those things that everybody else in the world knew, but I did not. But apparently, Bram from Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, and of course the movie version, Love, Simon, is... Star's Cousin and Star from The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And I just love that, like, these two characters in these totally different books, like, are cousins. And this is something that the authors have agreed upon. And I just love that. I'm, like, totally nerding out about it. That's awesome. No, I love stuff like that, too. I love it when authors are friends. Yes. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll return to our discussion of Stay Sweet. The rest of the show may contain spoilers, so if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be right back. Do you have a product you'd like to get in front of teachers, librarians, and other book lovers? If so, email us at yacafepodcast at gmail.com. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. We're continuing our discussion on Stay Sweet by Siobhan Vivian. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! <laughs> okay, so where to start? I mean, I, I guess, like, we're dying to discuss Grady and, you know, this, this big mystery that happens in this novel. Right. The mystery of the missing ice cream recipes. Yes. Especially, what is the ingredient that makes Home Sweet Home so delicious? I loved this. Like, so I'm the sort of reader that I know that something big is going to happen at the 50% mark. So I'm like always waiting. And when I got to the 50% mark and the big thing was that they didn't have the recipes to make more of Molly Mead's ice cream, like... I just laughed out loud. That is the best thing. Did you see it coming? No. Really? Okay. As soon as Grady showed up, he is a 19-year-old college bro. The idea that he is spending his summer locked in a house making ice cream was just so <laughs> ludicrous to me that I knew he wasn't. I knew that eventually Amelia would figure out that he has no idea how to make more ice cream and that she's going to have to handle it. And so I had about 20 pages where I was like, when are they going to reveal that there's no more ice cream? Like, I was waiting for it and waiting for it. Well, I didn't see it coming. I was living in a fantasy world where there was going to be enough ice cream forever. (laughs) Um, So I was anticipating that. And it was wonderful. I did. I loved the fight when they do realize that there's no more ice cream and Grady has no idea what to do about it. I really enjoyed that moment. Even though I anticipated it coming up, it actually made it more fun. Yeah, and I loved what happened next, which was that Amelia really did have to, you know, dig deep and take charge. And so the first thing they do is, like, rip apart the house to see if they can find the recipes. But, like, when they can't or while they're searching, like, the problem of no more ice cream is still very real. And so Amelia's like, it's okay. I got this. I'm going to just go to YouTube and figure it out. And right. I love her, like, go-getterness. Uh, she has a lot of failures. So here's how it goes. Turns out there are a lot of ways to screw up ice cream. 
Turns out it's not easy to make something not just good, but deliciously good. Molly's ice creams, Amelia realizes now, are deceptively simple. There's chocolate, and then there's chocolate. Like comparing a Hershey's Kiss with a Godiva truffle. And though her failures give her a newfound respect for Molly, it's also incredibly frustrating because she is so painfully far from getting it right. So, you know, she's talking hours and hours and hours of trying to get these ice cream recipes right. Have you ever tried to make ice cream? No, I haven't. Have you? Yeah. yeah. I'm totally intrigued. My mom had an ice cream maker when we were little, and it is really hard. And what you make at home, unless you are really good at it, like Molly Mead, like it does not have the same texture as store-bought ice cream. It's delicious because it's sugar and milk. I mean, what's not delicious about that? But that also, I think, helped me anticipate that this was going to be the conflict of the novel because <laughs> I know how hard it is to make ice cream. That seems like what you expect when you order ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so after I realized it was not a murder mystery, I realized <laughs> it was an ice cream mystery. <laughs> which made it all the more fun. I do want to talk about the introduction of Grady, what he, <laughs> what he brings to the table. His introduction is as a very well-dressed young man. Like, he obviously comes from a privileged, wealthy background. He might not have the same sentiments as Amelia. Yeah, and he kind of swoops in. And so, you know, Grady, it turns out, has not done well in his first year of business school or second year or whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I promise it doesn't matter. And he's like... I'm going to make this ice cream stand a success and it's going to like prove to my dad that I have worth. And I'm like, dude, this ice cream stand is a success. Like, why are you changing things? But, you know, he, he wants to scale it up. He has blue sky ideas. There's going right. to be synergy. <laughs> <laughs> the moment that really showed how far he has to grow is when his father comes to visit the ice cream stand. and. Grady completely takes credit for its success and does not even introduce Amelia, who has been running this place and has been making it a success. Mm -hmm. And it's Amelia's breaking point as well, where she realizes that she can't let him take advantage of her hard work anymore. Right. Without getting what she wants to. Which is what Kate has been saying all along, because as Amelia goes up to the house to try to make ice cream and all these things, Kate has really had to cover for her at the stand and really pick up the slack. And like Kate keeps saying, like, look, Amelia, he's taking advantage of you. Like, you're doing all this work for him. What are you getting? Like, why does this matter to you so much that this succeeds at the expense of your last summer? Kate says, like, if you lose out on the chance to make these memories just because you're making ice cream instead, are you going to look back and regret this? Yeah, and I really liked when early on she encourages Amelia to take up more space. Yeah, and in addition to Kate's ideas on how to be more assertive in the workplace and like talk to your boss, she has very specific ideas on how to make the ice cream stand fun for the younger girls. And she's very focused on like rituals and bonding and teamwork and things like that, which is you know, an aspect that Amelia doesn't really focus on. Amelia's more like, we need to get these chores done. And Kate's like, we need to make sure they're having fun. Right. So together they make a great team. But when they get separated, because Amelia is busy trying to make ice cream, then Kate goes overboard in her tendency to just be having a good time and not really doing the job that needs to be done. Yeah. How did you feel about the ice cream stand kind of spiraling out of control without Amelia? 
It was a good way of showing that Amelia cares about the stand more than anyone else. And that is her defining characteristic. As much as the other girls enjoy it, for her, this is really her primary concern. And passion. And passion. Yeah. We didn't really talk about like Molly's original narrative that the town accepts about her, which is like that, you know, her fiance went off to war and then was missing in action. And she was so sad and heartbroken, but ice cream saved her and like saw her through. And this is like what Molly has allowed the town to perpetuate because war widows made good money, right? People pitied the war widows. And and like in the second half, it comes out that Molly's fiance did come back and was a total jerk and didn't want her to run the ice cream stand. And so she was like, boy, bye. Exactly. I love that. It was a little melodramatic, but I liked it too. Oh, whatever. You were talking about like a thing about an arrangement. You- You're totally into (laughs) melodrama. But this story is otherwise so grounded. So this entrance of a crazed fiance who lights her family's barn on fire was a little over the top in the context of this very grounded ice cream drama. (laughs) The ice cream (laughs) non-murder mystery. Exactly. Not that I have any problem with it, but I bumped on it. So one thing I did like about this part, like for most of the novel... I'm like, okay, this book was built to me as being a feminist ice cream story. So far, it is not very feminist. She is running around making ice cream for this boy who didn't even want to pay her $15 an hour. How is this feminist? That's a really great point, Danielle. I'm glad you bring this up. I think you can make a case for this book not being very feminist. I do think it is, though. I think it is by the end, but like, I didn't realize that like, Amelia's feminism was part of her character arc. I didn't get that until the end when it happened and she was like able to stand on her own two feet. And I'm like, oh, oh, the whole book isn't feminist. The main takeaway can be feminist, even though throughout most of the novel, I'm like, Amelia, what are you doing? Absolutely. That's fair. And I agree with you. Entire sequences of her in a basement making ice cream while Grady sits on the couch. Not feminist. (laughs) Nope. I I thought um, learning that Grady's mom was dead, it did flesh out his character for me. I still think, though, that Grady was not as well-developed as Kate and Amelia. I agree. Well, I didn't really get Grady. I mean, like, I got why he was doing the things that he did and acting the way that he did. But, like, I mean, other than that, when he and Amelia do have this romance thing going on, like, I don't get what is so great about Grady. What does he do for fun? Like, what kinds of TV shows does he watch? Like, I don't know. And also, to me, they didn't have much fun together before they got together and it just didn't seem that romantic right um and that his affection for her was more out of his desperation than true appreciation of her i agree and i and i didn't really even get the sense that they were working together like when they were looking through the house like for the recipes they were in like different rooms so he never impressed me much me neither but i thought it made it even cooler at the end that that wasn't the point of the novel right Yeah, that's true. I always like a book that ends with romance not being the point, but like maybe a side dish or, you know, a A topping, (laughs) a topping because it's an ice cream novel. Romance (laughs) is the sprinkles. I mean, I always love a little romance sprinkled in (laughs) for me, even if I was like, 
girl, you're going to do so much better when you get to college. (laughs) You don't have to settle for Grady. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Unless he grows up a whole bunch. I will say that in the end, I realized the book was much more about her relationship with Kate than it ever was about her relationship with Grady. And, of course, her learning to pursue her own dreams just like Molly did. Yeah. And they discover the missing recipes, but, like, that's not the resolution. The resolution is, like, Amelia's going to keep this business going because it matters to Amelia, and she's found her passion. And Siobhan Vivian writes, Amelia had hoped Grady would save the stand as desperately as she'd hoped that Kate would be picked to be head girl. Why? Because she didn't think she could do either on her own, couldn't rise to those challenges, despite the fact that she desperately wanted to. I cried. I'm not going to lie. I cried right there. I was like, oh my god, it's the best thing ever. Everyone (laughs) can have an ice cream stand. I really want to eat some ice cream right now. I bought some ice cream. So there's this ice cream place. It started in Portland, Oregon. There's a lot of it in LA. It's called Salt and Straw. So I would stand in the Salt and Straw line reading this book on my iPhone and then get ice cream. (laughs) That's amazing. I did this several times. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) That's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much, Claire, for joining me. It's been awesome. It has been awesome to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And we hope you come back again soon. And if you want to read a murder mystery, we can set that up. (laughs) I might take you up on that. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Happy reading.